Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, November 15th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Xi Jinping and Joe Biden meet today. It will only be the second time they've met face-to-face as presidents. And U.S. inflation is headed in the right direction. Plus, the war in Ukraine is doing serious damage to Russia's labor market. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping are meeting in San Francisco today. Right now, the U.S. and China aren't exactly on the best of terms, so there's a lot of pressure on this summit. Here to tell us what we can expect is the FT's Washington Bureau Chief, James Politi. Hi, James. Nice to be here. Hey. James, can you give us a sense of just how tense things are between the U.S. and China right now? Well, things have been very tense over the past few years between the U.S. and China, China is seen as one of the main, perhaps the main strategic competitor for the U.S. There's a growing feeling in Washington that we're headed towards a period of strategic uh, confrontation, if not conflict. Definitely competition with China on a variety of fronts, both military, economic, diplomatic. And I think that's the backdrop to this uh, summit President Biden has been trying to stabilize relations with China and with uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping. And this summit is one of the main pillars of that effort. So then, are we expecting any concrete agreements to come out of this meeting? So it looks like we're going to get an agreement on a crackdown on the export from China of ingredients to make fentanyl, which has caused a lot of deaths in the U.S., We might also get an agreement on the reopening of military-to-military communications between the two sides, which had lapsed over the past year. That is very important in terms of setting a floor to the relationship. It means that senior military officers will be able to speak to each other in the event that things get tense, particularly over Taiwan. Yeah, and speaking of Taiwan, that has been one of the most contentious issues between the two countries lately. How are the U.S. and China tiptoeing around it? I don't think that anything big is going to get resolved on the Taiwanese front. I think the U.S. is going to stick by its longstanding policy towards Taiwan. I think that China will want the U.S. not to interfere in the Taiwanese elections, which are happening next year, which I think will be very important for the Chinese. But there's a clear sense that in both Washington and Beijing that they don't want a conflict to erupt over the next year over Taiwan. But certainly, I don't think that anything can be really ruled out for the years ahead. So, James, just put this into context for us. Just how big of a deal is it for Biden then for this summit to go right? Well, I think it's very important for the White House, at least from Biden's perspective, We have, you know, a war that just broke out between Israel and Gaza. There's a a stalemate of sorts in uh, Ukraine. He does not want to see conflict flare up with China before his re-election campaign next year. And I think that the purpose of this summit is clearly sort of aimed at that. James Politi is the FT's Washington bureau chief. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me.
The U.S. released its consumer price index for October yesterday, and inflation is settling down. The rate last month fell to 3.2%. It's the first decline in four months. And the bottom line from economists is that inflation looks like it's getting under control. And investors shared that sentiment. We saw a pretty big dip in U.S. Treasury yields yesterday, especially the yield on 10-year bonds, which hit a three-month low. And equities? Well, the S&P 500 ended the day up nearly 2%. Russia's workforce is shrinking, and it is shrinking fast. The country's war in Ukraine is mostly to blame, and it's drastically changing the economy. Polina Ivanova covers Russia for the FT, and she joins me now. Hi, Polina. Hi. Okay, so Polina, why is this happening? Well, there are lots of factors. A key one which is affecting a lot of industrialized economies is the creation of a tight labor market as a result of demographic change. So you have an aging population and uh, more people of retirement age. But this is compounded in Russia by the fact that many men have been mobilized for the front line. That is usually young men who are productive participants in the workforce. Also, there's been a large wave of people fleeing Russia. So a similar number to the amount of men who've been mobilized have simply fled, and that's often highly skilled workers. But in the context of that labor shortage, you also have a burgeoning defense sector, you know, with Moscow gearing up for a long war, which is attracting workers, sucking in the workforce away from a lot of civilian companies. Yeah, so explain that, Polina. Industries are being starved of workers because of the needs of the defense industry. Is that it? Exactly. So Russia has moved on to kind of a war footing across its economy. And the defense sector, the military production sector, is growing substantially and as a result, recruiting a lot of workers. Wages are rising in that sector because the government is focused on it and it wants to be producing more artillery, be producing more equipment and things like that for the front line. As a result, defense sector industries are actually able to attract more people over at the moment. We spoke to several tycoons of industry who have uh, factories across Russia in metals, mining. You know, it's a very labor-intensive economy. So those industries are really feeling the pinch in the context of this war. You had also mentioned that a lot of workers have left Russia in order to avoid being drafted. What industries have been affected by that? Yeah, there was um, a particularly acute brain drain triggered by the announcement of conscription towards the end of last year, and that's still a simmering problem. A lot of highly skilled labor fled the country, especially, uh, for example, IT workers who are able to work from abroad, you know, able to work remotely. Uh, the Minister for Digital Development in August this year, said Russia is short by at least half a million IT workers. Um, Wow. Half a million? Half a million to 700,000 IT workers short. Junior roles are still quite easy to fill. That's what people in the telecom sector, for example, told us. It's senior roles that they're really struggling to fill at the moment. One uh, telecoms director described it as just a shit show. Oh, strong words. So what are economists saying then about the risks of an economy that is just so dependent on war? Well, I think as Russia moves towards the election next year, the presidential election next year, the government will want to, well, and has been already increasingly presenting, you know, this very rosy picture of the economy. What the labor shortages reveal, um, according to the economists that we were speaking to, 
it reveals some structural issues of an economy that is effectively supported by war spending, by the government pumping cash into the production of uh, ammunition and the production of tanks and other things, which ultimately is is quite short-lived, you know, what those industries will be doing after a war effort, you know, that doesn't create development potential for Russia in the long run. Polina Ivanova covers Russia for the FT. Thanks, Polina. Thank you. Before we go, the competition between regular supercomputers and artificial intelligence is heating up, and AI just won another round. This time, it's over weather forecasting. Google's DeepMind, for the first time, did a much better job of predicting the weather than conventional methods. DeepMind scored higher in several categories, like temperature, humidity, and pressure. The conventional method, known as numerical weather prediction, involves supercomputers crunching a lot of intense equations, and it can take hours. DeepMind, on the other hand, can do it in a fraction of the time and can predict weather events sooner. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com for free when you click the links in our show notes. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum.